Welcome to The Lost Veterans. My name is Phil Woolley, and I will be your host. Today, I'll be talking with Travis Graff. He's a social worker in Utah who served with me in the Marine Corps, and we were deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan together. After that, he, he studied in Utah and then studied in Kansas City, worked out there at the VA, and then moved back to Utah and continues to work with veterans and non-veterans. In our discussion, we talk about Travis joining the military, experiences he had in Iraq and Afghanistan, and also we talk a bit about mindfulness, acceptance, and commitment therapy, and what he would say to a veteran or a person who is struggling and needs to take the first step to getting help. And with that, here's my discussion with Travis Graff. Thanks for coming on, Travis. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, thank you. Let's start off with talking about your background, a little bit about just where you came from, where you grew up, and your decision to join the military and what led you to that. Okay, I grew up in kind of Murray. It's a a suburb of Salt Lake City. I grew up there. After graduating high school, decided to go to Salt Lake Community College discovered that I did not like architecture, which is what I thought I wanted to be through all my high school career. And I hated it. Um, I hated like the kind of the rules of everything and the structure of everything. I just, I really just liked the art of it and the the people of it. So I was there and changed my major to sociology. But after one semester, I realized that I didn't have any money (laughs) and I made the decision to kind of do something that like I always wanted to do, and that was to join the military, but I didn't know which one yet. I called a couple recruiters, and I called the Army and the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps is the one that called me back. So that's what I ended up joining. That's how I ended up in the Marine Corps. Nice. So you ended up a Marine because of good follow-up practices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I went to boot camp January of 07. We went to SOI together. When did you... Yeah go to boot camp it was december 18th okay so, so i my, went, i went january yes. 5th I, fifth or yeah i think it was fifth yeah you were the company right behind me because they didn't have one start on christmas so uh, my okay like my first like black friday weekend was christmas eve and christmas nice wonderful decision to make for yeah. night. merry christmas just for everyone out there travis and i we served in the same same company and same platoon also, Charlie Company, 4th LAR. We were both in weapons. I was a mortarman. He's a tow gunner. And uh, right after, right out of boot camp, we got deployed to Iraq. What did you think about getting deployed right out of boot camp? And what were, do you have any certain memories that stand out when you think about when we went to Iraq? Yeah, I can remember. Um, so while we were in SOI, I can remember my mom texting us saying, hey, there's a there's a Marine Corps company deploying to Iraq or getting deployed or getting activated or whatever. I was like, oh, that's my company. So <laughs> so I kind of had an Surprise. idea because they were, yeah, they were already activated before we even got done with SOI. Afghanistan was much more eventful for us. We, we in Iraq, we did convoy security, which was basically like glorified armed escorts for people transporting stuff. 
Um, and then I, Afghanistan, we did all sorts of crazy crap. Boat patrols, mounted yeah. patrols. So in Afghanistan, we, our company lost two Marines. We had a number of other injured Marines. Um, and then our battalion, do you, do you know the exact number of how many we lost? Was it like 11, 10 or 11? I, I think somewhere 9 to 11. Is 9 to 11, something like that. Yeah. And we didn't have many firefights, or any, to my knowledge, but we had plenty of explosions and IEDs. Do you have any stories or events that stand out from Afghanistan that you've thought about a lot since? Yeah, so there's kind of one... That's kind of scary to me that when I think about it, because it happened pretty shortly after we lost um, Nigel and Carlos. Mm. Um, so I was I was like in charge of the scanner, the IED scanner, whatever. I don't even remember what it was called. But it was basically a metal detector, fancy metal detector. Yeah. Scanning scanning in front of our vehicle, and I kind of spotted something that looked weird. So I walked up to it slowly and appropriately. Started scanning it, and I called um, another Marine. His name was Kyle Morris, and he came over, and we kind of looked at it, and we started marking it. Um, but as we were marking it, we found like a a second box or a second, like a second kind of hit with the thing. And we started marking that as well, but we realized that we had stepped on that second box um, quite a bit before we discovered it. Oh man. And, it ended up being the battery to the ID that we found, but it kind of runs through my head. Like what if I found that first and just kind of went to scan that? That's I feel like that's probably my scariest moment. And it like, it doesn't match up to anybody else's because there's a lot of scary things. That's, that's something that stands out in my mind Yeah, that's... because it was so, it was, it was so fresh in my mind of what happened to Nigel and Carlos, like those couple of days before. What was life like for you after returning home from Afghanistan. My wife's family is from Kansas City, so we went to Kansas City for probably the whole summer um, after we returned home. It might have been shorter than that. I don't remember. That was so long ago. Mm-hmm. But um, they went straight into school, and like things went pretty well, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But I can remember like when the springtime rolled around, I can remember feeling so angry for no reason at all. But I was able to get through it. And graduated Solid Community College and then went to Utah State. Kind of the same thing. Everything rolled around. Springtime just made me mad for no reason. And I don't know. <laughs> like, just that weird anniversary of my body just being like, this is wrong, dude. So that's pretty much my life. It's a couple years after. You've worked as a social worker. You're a licensed clinical social worker now. So now you're back in, you're, you're in Kansas City. You're back in Utah, continuing social work. Are you doing so? You're not working for the VA in Utah, but do you you do do work? <laughs> you do work with veterans still. Yeah, it's awesome because so I work at Ogden Regional Medical Center, and we get a lot of the like the active duty military people from from Hill Air Force Base in our program. Then we still get some from like the guard and stuff. They're still active duty, and every once in a while we'll get like an old vet. I try to catch them so I can do their therapy as much as possible. So one of the things that's awesome about the VA is when they're um, when you're working there and you're a veteran, they're like, 
you need to tell these guys you're veterans because then they'll trust you more. Mm-hmm. Right. When you're, when you're first starting out in like case management and, or any kind of social work, they're like, try not to disclose anything you can about yourself. Cause right. This is about them. It's not about you. Right. But yeah, it was a really interesting change of pace when you go to the VA and they're like, tell, tell everybody your life, <laughs> tell them you're a veteran. <laughs> okay. But you can really, like, you can really see the impact of it. Yeah. I'm um, at the VA and then I can see the impact here and I'm like, Hey, right. I'm a veteran too. And, Right, I have a background in military social work, and this is a place to be. I work as hard. I work as hard for you as I would for any other vet. Have you noticed a difference in maybe their demeanor coming in, and then after you tell them? Oh yeah, there's one person in mind. Right, there came in, didn't want to talk to me. The person, um, like they didn't want to talk to me because I kind of present as LDS, mm. kind of have that demeanor a little bit. Which is right. There's nothing wrong with either way, but sometimes, right, people with substance use disorders don't trust me as much because, like, I don't understand, right? right. Which is true. I don't, I don't understand them completely. Um, but when, like, after our assessment, I told this person that, right, that I'm a vet. Their, right, their, their demeanor completely changed, and they're like, oh, maybe I, maybe I can talk to you. Awesome. So I made a documentary for the listeners out there. I made a documentary about veteran suicide and I basically just like messaged random people or random Facebook groups, like put a post up there and was like, Hey, I'm making this documentary. I had some lined up before I went on my little three week tour to do the filming, but I had multiple veterans that I interviewed that basically said that same thing. Like, Hey, I didn't, I wouldn't, I want to talk to you, but I knew that you were a vet. So it was like, okay, I know he's going to do me right. So I really think being a veteran in the mental health world as, as a social worker or psychologist or whatever, like that's huge for guys that want to get help, but are always kind of like, they're not going to get me. So I'm just not going to (laughs) go. Well, and there's a selfish piece to it too, right? Cause I, not only am I helping them, but I'm helping myself and I'm learning all these things about me and right. Like all the, all the, yeah, there's a selfish piece as well. Yeah. What advice would you give to a veteran who's out there struggling, feeling like crap? What would your advice be as far as seeking help or just getting to a place where they can begin to seek help? One of the things that like, and I know this might sound bad, but the, the, the therapy I use with most of my patients, it's called acceptance and commitment therapy. And right, one of the main facets of this therapy is teaching people that you will not always be happy. Mm. Um, so I would say, right, remember that it's okay to feel bad. Right? You're, you're a human being when you're feeling bad. Um, I try to teach people, right, thinking of weather as a, like thinking of emotions as like weather. Right. Yeah. And then I ask, so if emotions are like weather, what is the natural state of the weather? And they look at me like kind of funny and they're like, there's like, there's no natural state to the weather, right? It's always fluctuating. So I say, if there's no natural state to the weather, why do we expect the natural state of us to be like happiness or joy or anything? There's, there's no natural state to human emotion. And like, if you were to chase something like the weather or you, you expected the weather, the natural state of it to be to be beautiful or to be so sunny or to be 
like snowy if you're into skiing right and you expected that to be the natural state of it you'd be very it'd be, it'd be very hard to live mm-hmm. so kind of the acceptance piece that life is going to be hard and our emotions aren't, aren't going to be as what we want them to be all the time right it's what we do with that that matters if the weather is scary and you still go outside that's what matters so if the, if your emotions are hard and you still get up and you still go like you go talk to someone or you go either talk to a friend or go to a professional right that's what matters right it's not necessarily changing your emotions but um doing what's important to you yeah Wow, that's that's an I've never heard that analogy before, but that's great. There's so much that I feel like when we're going through crap, you know, ruminating on thoughts in our head, yeah. things like that. Like every once in a while, you hear something like that. Like you know, our our feelings are like the weather. Our thoughts are like the weather. Like <laughs> emotions are like the weather. Whatever you know, like they're always evolving. Yeah, because I mean, I felt like crap lately because my documentary was mostly self-funded. I put all this time into it, and it's basically right. a total flop. Like, it's on Amazon Prime. It's called 72 Minutes, where you listeners go out watch there, it. if you want to go watch it, I make, like, a nickel if you watch it. So, Oh, I made you a nickel the other night? Yeah, you, you paid me. Yeah, you made me a whole nickel. So I owe you. Nice. I owe you, like, <laughs> two Skittles. <laughs> So that's, you know, that's helpful for me even. Like emotions are like the weather. And we shouldn't shouldn't expect it to always be sunny all the time. Right. Which is hard, especially in kind of the social media age. Right. It's like where most people only share the sunny days with everybody else. Even before social media days, like this country has been literally founded on the pursuit of happiness. Right. So... Right. We're expected that we should always be happy. And that's what, because I had, I had posted something and you had commented on one of my Facebook posts, something like that, right? Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that idea? About the idea of the pursuit of happiness? Is yeah. It? Yes. So, right. I, 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 I need to preface it with that. I love the Declaration of Independence and I love what it stands for. <laughs> so much um, that you joined the military. So much that I joined the military. I love this country, but right. There's, there's just that one flaw in the, in there that can change everything. And it wasn't like, it didn't originally start out as the, as the pursuit of happiness, right? It was the pursuit of property, mm. which is something that can be attained where, right. Something like happiness can't be attained. Right. So like if you're always one of the, there's a book called the happiness trap and it's, it basically talks about um, if you are always trying to find happiness and that's your only goal in life, then you will never find it. Um, Whether so, so the, the best way to get happiness or fulfillment as a human being is to find what you value and move towards that and, as a side effect, right? That's when you get to be happy and then, and then enjoy it when it comes. There's nothing wrong with being happy, but right. Enjoying when it comes, but like as parents, right, we move towards our values of right. Having, having a family or, or uh, like rearing children to be successful members of society. That's a value, but it's not always, it's not always pleasant to take care of a child. 
you're either waking up at 3 a.m. or you're you're having a baby in an RV in the middle of nowhere. Trying to get the stupid kids to bed. Gosh dang it. Yeah, we're trying to get them to bed. But <laughs> right, there's that the sense of fulfillment that you get when you when you do it. Yeah. Um, because you're right. If if you were just pursuing happiness, then right, then you wouldn't have kids in the first place because it doesn't sound logical to try to take care of another human being. Yeah. And keep them alive and this human being that's going to poop on you and throw up on you and talk back to you. Is, <laughs> yeah. It's very illogical. Um, but you're moving towards a value when you do it. Um, and that's the right life, the pursuit of life, liberty, and the, per, how does it go? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those first two are still good. Because um, they're, they're kind of, they're values, right? You can always pursue your life. You can always move towards liberty. Um, but that one change to happiness kind of changes everything. Okay. So as you, as you were saying, instead of pursuing happiness, we should pursue what we value the most. And then as a side effect of that, happiness will come in and out. Yes. Yeah. Um, so like another metaphor I use to describe what's important to us, right, is thinking of like directions on a compass, mm. right? And if if I value something like east, that's right, that's what's important to me. I ask them, right, how far east can I go before I stop going east? Right, you'll never catch it. Right, you just right? keep and going. That's what, you just keep going. And that's what the value is, right? Okay. There's, there's obstacles along the way. Um, Right? There's things that are going to be scary. Sometimes the weather's going to be good. Sometimes it's bad. But the important thing is is to go east, no matter what. And when we so right, life would be east. That's an east thing because you can always go towards it. Liberty is a value that you can always go towards. Property is a goal. Um, like if I'm going east, I know I need to go to Cheyenne first. But that it's like it's a measurable goal, you know. You can yeah. say yes, I have property. No, I don't have property. You know, a yeah. Or B. And and it's a measurable goal because it can lead you towards, um, like life and liberty. To have property is a goal that leads you towards. It. But when you throw when you change it to happiness, right? If I'm telling you, if I'm telling you that value a value is something you'll never catch, and then you say I value happiness, then right? I mean, I'm. I'm seeing that right, you'll never catch happiness, right? Because you'll never get you'll never get it. You can only move towards it. I don't think it was um, nefarious or anything, but it right. was it was meant to get the people because um, not everybody was property owners back then. And yeah, when he wrote when he wrote it, he would, thought he was going to alienate people when he said the pursuit of property. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. But. What I'm, and also like what I was saying about the one thing you you could tell people right, when I'm saying what you do matters is is whether you talk to talk to someone or or talk to a professional when you're feeling crappy or something. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter how big or small that step is. If you take a step east, you're still taking a step east. Yeah. But if you decide to lie, if you decide to lay in your bed all day and kind of ruminate, that that's either standing still. Or it's heading west in the other direction. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about, and you may or may not have a lot of, I don't know, experience or studies or whatever in this, but have you, do you use mindfulness at all in your 
working with people? Yes. Okay. So ACT or acceptance commitment therapy ACT is a very kind of a mindfulness based therapy Okay. approach. Yeah. So one of the, there's like six different processes and one of the processes is, is, um, is staying in the moment. And one of the processes is acceptance. Both of those are very right. Mindful. Mm -hmm. The thing that, the thing that ACT does different is throws in those values that I was talking about. So it's, it's kind of a value-based mindfulness. Are there certain situations or certain viewpoints that people have that mindfulness really helps to correct or to, you know, get them out of that kind of thinking? Like black, well, and, black and white thinking or like some other kind of negative thought process. Right. And that goes to kind of like the CBT thing where there's, right, you can correct your thinking, but an act, right, oh, okay. we're, we're really teaching, we're really teaching you can't correct your thinking as much. Oh, okay. It's just like, it's just like your emotions, right? There's, there's some things that you can control and like with your thought behaviors, but there's like that, those initial thoughts that you'll never control. So there's just teaching people these thoughts that you have. They're just, they're just as okay as the, the emotions that you have. I know in your video, I think, I don't remember when it was, but they were talking about, right, it's, it's okay to be having these thoughts about killing yourself. Right. These thoughts are okay to have. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was a doctor at the end that was saying it. Yeah. Whereas, right, if we label that as a thinking error, then somebody starts to think, think they're a bad person just because they're having that thought. Right. Right. Okay. They're not a bad person. So the mindfulness is, is just acceptance of those thoughts as well as acceptance of the emotions. If you had to give someone a mindfulness boot camp 101 in like a few minutes, what would, you know, can you guide me through that or what would that look like if you're telling yeah. us? Talking Mindful, about yeah. Mindfulness doesn't have to be a huge kind of meditation thing. It can be just grounding yourself to any moment. So right, there's skills that you can do in seconds, in absolute seconds, just bring you back to the moment. And there's something called anchoring where you just press your feet down as hard as you can and just anchor yourself to the ground. And then there's also another one that's my favorite. It's a your sensory inventory. So you say it out loud, you say five things you see, five things you hear, three things you feel, two things you smell, and one thing you taste. And you just count that down. It's just and it's because those things are happening in the moment. Right. But they're not the five things you see aren't happening yesterday. They're happening right now. Okay. And that can that can happen in less than ten seconds. Real quick, I want to try that one. So five things you see, right? Yes. So name them out loud. Okay. So I see a light in the distance. There's a white SUV in front of me. I see LED lights on my RV. I see my cell phone on my dashboard of my truck where I'm sitting right now. And I see this microphone I'm holding. Okay. So that's five four. things. And then four things I hear. Hear. Well, I hear yep, you. Out loud. I hear your voice. I hear my voice, I hear a truck or some kind of car in the distance, and I hear my foot that just moved. Okay. <laughs> There's four things. And then what's what's the next one? Three things you feel. Three things I feel. Like physically feel. Okay. So I feel warm because I'm in Florida and I don't have the AC on right now. I feel fat because I ate a whole bunch of popcorn at the movie. Oh, hold on. We're not, we're not saying how we feel about ourselves. Oh, okay. Like oh. physical. So, so for me, I would say I feel the pressure of my elbows on my, on my okay. I've, okay. 
So I, I feel warm. I feel the pressure of my elbow on my center console in my truck, and I feel the pressure of my hand holding the microphone. Yeah. Would that be three? And then what else after and that? Two things you smell. Um, I smell my truck. I smell, it kind of smells like wet towels because we go swimming kind of often. Okay. And that's usually pretty grounding because people have to think about two different smells. Yeah. Yeah. That one's, that one's, that one's the hardest, I think. Yeah. And then, and then the one thing you taste. I can still taste. So me and my son, before we went to Sonic, we watched Sonic today. I don't remember if we were recording when I was saying that. We bought a bag of Sour Patch Kids at a Target. And like a huge bag, because they're on sale, and I'm a sucker for sales. And so we ate like half the bag. So I've still got Sour Patch Kid taste all over my mouth. So that's the one thing I can taste. And then what was the next one? Three things I can feel. Nope, that's it. Oh, that's it. You can count it all the way down. Okay. It was sight, sound, feel, feel, smell, smell. taste. And that that's an exercise you can do if you're just like feeling anxious or feeling crappy or something just to like get you back yeah. into your moment, living in the moment. Yep. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. It's fun too. Kind of like a little game. Yeah, anchoring and and five senses countdown are like the fastest ones you can do. And then, and it's, and we just have to remember, right? It's not a competition to, to get all of them done really fast. Mm-hmm. Still have to take our time doing them, right? Can't be like five things I see, a tank, a, a phone, a, right? Just take your time to be in right. the moment. And mindfulness, if I am recalling correctly, it's about being present in the moment and then not putting value judgment on feelings or emotions or yeah is that what feelings and thoughts thoughts and feelings yeah do you have a good example for like something people for consistently say i'm a bad person because of this or you know yeah right i so i work on a substance use treatment unit and sometimes people after they relapse they tell themselves i'm never going to get over this this disease is going to kill me that's their mind telling them that and um, when they put the value and we're not going to change that thought, but when they put the value on it, that's that's what's going to impact them. So if someone was saying that, what would you remind them to say or feel themselves or from a mindfulness approach? Sure. So um, there's an act, there's a, there's a mindfulness approach that's also kind of um, unique to it called diffusion. Right? It's, a really, it's, it's a separation from your thoughts and feelings from your behavior. And one of the things, it sounds funny, but when someone comes in and says, I'm, I'm such a bad person, right? We can use a diffusion skill called like replacing it with a fruit. So say, okay, so tell yourself, I'm a banana. <laughs> and they, right. They say it out loud. I'm a banana. Yeah. <laughs> and right. Both thoughts, both thoughts have the same amount of stopping power. It just depends on the power we give to that thought that matters. So if I, if I give more power to, I'm a bad person, I'm going to, right. That that's going to impact me. And if I give more power to, I'm a banana, right. That person can start acting weird, but. <laughs> oh, that's kind funny. Of that, 
yeah, the silliness of it kind of breaks it up a little bit. Yeah. You realize, yeah. Or another one. Um, this is one of my favorites. I'm not going to say like who you should imagine, but I, I tell people, right? Tell yourself, think of that same thought and now think of your, like your least favorite politician, whoever it is. I, like, I don't care who it is, but just your least favorite politician. And now you tell yourself that same thought in their voice to you, right? And how how believable is it after you hear it in their voice? If your least favorite politician came up to you and said, you're a loser, you're in the, oh, no way, I'm not yeah, a like, loser. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is good. That's a good one. In this field of social work, this is called, what's the, what does ACT stand for again? Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to look into that more because I did, I, I did quite a bit of therapy after Afghanistan. Um, it, and it took me like a year to realize that something was wrong or maybe to accept that I, like something was wrong in my life. Like I felt like crap right. for pretty much right after, but um, I ended up doing cognitive behavioral therapy, but I've always, I've been interested in mindfulness. I haven't learned much about it, but I've, it feels like, you know, this feels more, more Zen, more like, you know, accepting life and moving forward kind of thing instead of like yeah. fixing, fixing everything in your life or something. Right. And I was, I was kind of in your same boat as well. The, right. I went to therapy for a while and it was, it was CBT based and right. CBT is wonderful. It did a lot for, yeah, it helped, and, yeah, it and, helped me too. In in making things, um, it also like helped therapy kind of become more scientific because CBT is it can be tested, right? A lot like other scientific tests, rather than like, um, like the Freudian stuff where it was just all kind of philosophical guesswork. Yeah, um, where CBT and um, those behavioral approaches started being able to be tested, but um, the thing. The biggest thing that it gets wrong is right. You is the thought stopping behaviors that you try to you try to stop your thoughts, mm. or you try to you try to find evidence against why your thoughts not right. And sometimes that can make it more powerful. Like the example is right. I tell you not to think of a giraffe. And that's all you're thinking about. Yeah, it's like I wasn't thinking about it unless you said it. Yeah, unless you put a lot of energy into not thinking about it. Like okay. You're telling me not to think of a draft. I'm with like cheetah, 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 cheetah. But yeah. you're putting a lot more energy <laughs> than than is necessary, right? Than just to let the thought be. Um, the other thing with finding evidence against it is if right, if somebody's in a state, their their mind's going to find a lot of evidence that makes that thought true. It's not necessarily going to find that evidence against it. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, and we can. And since human beings um, are kind of some of the only creatures that, like, there's conditioning. All creatures can get some sort of conditioning, but um, we get conditioning both ways. It's it's what makes us right. What makes us understand language and other stuff. Um, but since we get conditioning both ways, right? Those positive. If I say to myself positive affirmation every time I get a negative, like negative thought about myself, like I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. Then I just try to replace it. I'm a good person. Um, because of that double conditioning, um, right? Every time now that you get a 
thought that I'm a good person, that other thought comes in mind because you're conditioned to think of it every time. So, right, your good thoughts can start to trigger bad thoughts now. Whereas, right, if we just let it be in the first place as it is, we don't really have to worry about that conditioning. Yeah, because, right, when the Pavlov's dogs, like, you ring a bell and they salivate, we all know the, the kind of the story. They don't eat food expecting a bell. Right. right? Whereas a human being could eat food and, rec- like, think, oh, where's the bell? I'm eating right now. <laughs> yeah. Let's say, let's say they didn't want to come in yet. What would, what would you say to a veteran or even anyone who's like so depressed that they just don't even want to make the call or set the appointment or what, what would your words of wisdom be for them? To find that thing that matters and take a tiny step towards it, whether it's taking a shower, whether it's making a meal for yourself, whether it's walking from the bedroom to the, to the kitchen or walking from the bedroom to the living room. Just taking those tiny steps when life feels so debilitating is is so powerful for mm. for you. Yeah, and that was that was another question I had meant to ask was so far in your work with veterans and other people talking about the values that they you know that they find for themselves that they want to move towards. Is there a is there a consistent value or trend of values that people say like oh well yeah, this is what I want to keep moving towards. And whether I'm happy or sad, like this is what I want to aim for. No. And there, and I, and I don't think there should be, right. I don't think there should be a consistent value. Everybody, right. Everybody's unique and that's okay. okay. Just, cause, cause if we start seeing consistency, we would say, Oh, these are the right values. Right. Everyone should have <laughs> and, right. No value is right or wrong. It just is. Has there ever been like a value or something that someone has shared that you've kind of been like, oh, well, I've never, you know, like something you wouldn't think was like, oh, I'm going to aim towards that or something that was kind of different? Um, yeah, I get all sorts of interesting ones. It's just like I, I get so much of them. It's kind of hard to remember because they start to blend together. So I remember yeah. I was just I'm asking this question just because I've so after after Afghanistan, I went on a mission, an LDS mission, and I was diagnosed. I was in Oklahoma City, and I was diagnosed with PTSD and uh, major depression disorder. That was called. Anyway, I was diagnosed with those, and I was like suicidal. And I was supposed to be like the happiest moment of my life because I'm out there talking about Jesus to people and stuff. Right. And I just remember, like, I had moments where I was like, really about to kill myself and i i didn't obviously because i'm still here but i one of those times i remember like i can't kill myself yet i still need to write a symphony so i like really liked music (laughs) i really liked music my whole life i'm really not musically like i'm i really suck at music theory i'm good at rhythms and things and you know i can kind of piece together music on my computer or whatever but I'm not like a guy that could pick up an instrument and play along with other people. But that was the thought. So that that's why I was wondering if there was ever any kind of like really out in left field stuff that's like, well, that's what I'm going to aim towards. <laughs> so I never. So there wasn't, there wasn't one that was like necessarily aiming towards a value. But this person that I had was um, right having suicidal thoughts, and their plan was to drive drive their car off the road. 
and they were practicing. And this is this is when it gets dangerous. <laughs> this is when, right when there's means, when there's high intent, and when they're practicing. Mm. Um, so it's so access means intent right. is what we look for before we hospitalize someone. And he met all three. But the thing that was protective for him, he was really concerned about what would, what it would do to his car. Oh, nice. And right. That's 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 okay to me. A protective factor is a protective factor. You do what you need to to stay with us. Man, that's crazy. So think so so be vain and think about your car and think about the symphony. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it was the weirdest thing to me. It was like cuz I at that point I was in a like I had a girlfriend for 3 or 4 years at that point. And we were going to get married, you know, kind of generally planning on getting married once we were back together in Utah after my mission ended up not working out and that was fine. Um, but I thought like of all the, like I thought maybe her or maybe my family would have been like my, my, what, what was the thought you, or what was the term you said? Like the, the protective factor, protective factor. Yeah. I thought they would be my protective factor and it ended up being, I need to write a symphony, which I had never even attempted to do. And I haven't (laughs) attempted since. But it was the one thing that was like, oh, I, I, I really wanted to do <laughs> so that. So awesome, Phil. So that's that's cool about the car guy. It's like, you know, sometimes all this random crap in our heads comes together when we need it to in its own special ways <laughs> to keep us safe from ourselves or, right. you know. Well, that'll be it. We've gone a little longer than I expected, like twice as okay. long. But that's fine. <laughs> Any last words any last words um <laughs> do you have a message that as a social worker as a good person or not a good person because you're just a person right mindfulness here yeah oh look at that yeah any anything you want to send out into the world with the podcast yeah. do what's important to you very wise words travis, travis graff All right. Well, thanks for being on here, Travis. And I'm sure we'll talk again sometime on this podcast. It was was so good to hear your voice, Phil, by the way, because we haven't talked in like a bajillion years, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like legit almost a decade or at least five years. (laughs) All right. So we'll talk to you again sometime, sometime soon, Travis. We'll see you later.